Our goal that sent me to sleep is to help the world get a good night's rest. Everyone deserves that. So if you're enjoying the show, please make sure that you've followed the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast player you use. And if you have a moment, review the show on Apple Podcasts. All of this helps the show reach new listeners. Thank you so much for your support. Good evening. In this episode, I'll be reading chapters 12 to 15 of The Story of Greece by Mary McGregor. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 12 Menelaus and Paris do battle When the heralds of Agamemnon had led Briseis away, Achilles stripped off his armour, for not again would he fight in the Trojan War. Down to the seashore he went alone to weep for the loss of Briseis the fair-cheeked, As he wept, he called aloud to his mother, Thetis. From the depths of the sea, she heard his cry, and swift on a wave, she reached the shore. Soon she was by the side of her son, and taking his hand, as when he was a boy, she asked, My child, why weepest thou? Then Achilles told how Agamemnon had taken from him Briseis, whom he loved. Go to the palace of Zeus, he entreated her, and beseech Zeus to give me honour before the hosts of the Greeks. Let him great victory to the Trojans until the king sends to Achilles to beg for his help in the battle. So Thetis, for the sake of her dear son, hastened to Olympus, and bending at the knee of Zeus, she besought the god to avenge the wrong done to Achilles. At first, Zeus, the cloud-gatherer, was silent, as though he heard her not. Give me now thy promise, urged Thetis, and confirm it with a nod, or else deny me. Then the god nodded, and thereat Olympus shook to its foundations, so Thetis knew that she had found favour in the eyes of Zeus, and leaving the palace of the gods, she plunged deep into the sea. Zeus hastened to fulfil his promise and sent to Agamemnon a baneful dream. As the king dreamed, he thought he heard Zeus bid him go forth to battle against the Trojans, 
for he would surely take the city. But in this Zeus deceived the king. When Agamemnon awoke in the morning, he was glad, for now he hoped to win great honor among his warriors. Quickly he armed himself for battle, throwing a great cloak over his tunic and slinging his sword, studded with silver, over his shoulder. In his right hand he bore the scepter of his sires, the sign of his lordship over all the great hosts of Hellenus. Then when he was armed, the king assembled his great army, and after telling him his dream, he bade it march in silence towards the city. But when the Trojans saw the Helenas drawing near, they came out to meet them, with clamour and with shouting like unto birds, even as when there goeth up before heaven a clamour of cranes which flee from the coming of winter and sudden rain. As the Trojans approached, Menelaus saw Paris, who had stolen his fair wife, and he leapt from his chariot that he might slay the prince. But Paris, when he saw the wrath of Menelaus, was afraid and hid himself among his comrades. Then Hector, his brother, who was the leader of the Trojans, mocked at him for his cowardice until Paris grew ashamed. Now will I challenge Menelaus to single combat, he cried, and Hector rejoiced at his words and bade the warriors stay their arrows. Hear, Ken, ye Trojans and ye Greeks, he cried, Paris bids that you lay down your arms while he and his enemy Menelaus alone do battle for Helen and for her wealth. And he who shall be victor shall keep the woman and her treasures while we will make with one another's oaths of friendship and of peace. So there, without the walls of the city... Oaths were taken both by the Greeks and the Trojans. But the heart of Priam, king of Troy, was heavy lest harm should befall Paris, and he hastened within the gates of the city that he might not watch the combat. I can in no wise bear to behold with mine eyes my dear son fighting with Menelaus, he said. But Zeus knoweth, and all the immortal gods, for whether of the twain the doom of death is appointed. Then Menelaus and Paris drew their swords, and Menelaus cried to Zeus, to grant him his aid, so that hereafter men, 
may shudder to wrong his host that hath shown him kindness. But it seemed that Zeus heard not, for when Menelaus flung his ponderous spear, although it passed close to Paris, rendering his tunic, yet did it not wound him, and when he dealt a mighty blow with his sword upon the helmet of his enemy, lo, his sword broke into pieces in his hand. Then in his wrath, Menelaus reproached the god. Father Zeus, he cried, surely none of the gods is crueler than thou. My sword breaketh in my hand, and my spear sped from my grasp in vain, and I have not smitten my enemy. Yet even if Zeus denied his help, Menelaus determined to slay his foe. So he sprang forward and seized Paris by the strap of his helmet. But the goddess Aphrodite flew to the aid of the prince, and the strap broke in the hand of Menelaus. Before the king could again reach his enemy, a mist sent by the goddess concealed the combatants one from the other. Then, unseen by all, Aphrodite caught up Paris, very easily as a goddess may, and hid him in the city within his own house. In vain did Menelaus search for his foe, yet well did he know that no Trojan had given him shelter, for Paris was hated of all even as black death because it was through his base dead that Troy had been besieged for nine long years. Chapter 13 Hector and Andromache The gods were angry with Aphrodite because she had hidden Paris from the king, and they determined that, in spite of their oath, the two armies should again begin to fight. So Athene was sent to the Trojan hosts, disguised as one of themselves. In and out among the soldiers she paced, until at length she spoke to one of them, bidding him draw his bow and wound Menelaus. The soldier obeyed, and the arrow, guided by Athene, reached the king, yet was the wound but slight. When the Greeks saw that the Trojans had disregarded their oath, they were full of wrath, and seizing their arms, they followed their chiefs to battle. You had thought them dumb, so silent were they, as they followed but as the Trojans looked up, the enemy there arose among them, a confused murmur as when sheep bleat without ceasing to hear the lamb's cry. 
Fierce and yet more fierce raged the battle. Valiant deeds were done on both sides, but when Hector saw that the Greeks were being helped by the gods, he left the battlefield and hastened to the city. At the gates, wives and mothers pressed around him, eager to hear what had befallen their husbands, their sons. But Hector tarried only to bid them go pray to the gods. On the palace, he had hastened to find Hecuba, his mother. She, seeing him come, ran to greet him and to beg of him to wait until she brought honey-sweet wine, that he might pour it out as an offering to Zeus, and himself drink and be refreshed. But Hector said, Bring me no honey-sweet wine, my lady mother, lest thou cripple me of my courage, and I be forgetful of my might. But go thou to the temple with all thy women, to offer gifts to Athene, and to beseech her aid. Then, leaving his mother, Hector went to the house of Paris, and bitterly did he rebuke him, because he was not in the forefront of the battle. Stay but till I arm, and I will go with thee, answered Paris. But Hector heeded him not, for he was in haste to find his dear wife, Andromache, and their beautiful boy, Scamandris. By the people, the boy was called Astyanax, the city king, for it was his father who guarded Troy. Andromache was not in their house, but on the wall of the city, watching the battle, fearing lest harm should befall her lord. With her was her little son in the arms of his nurse, Hector dared not linger to search for his wife, but as he hastened back to the gates, she saw him and ran to bid him farewell ere he returned to battle. Close to his side she pressed, and her tears fell as she cried, Too brave, thy valour yet will cause thy death. Thou haste no pity on thy tender child, nor me, unhappy one, who soon must be. Thy widow, all the Greeks will rush on thee, to take thy life, a happier lot were mine. If I must lose thee to go down to earth, for I shall have no hope when thou art gone. Nothing but sorrow, father have I none, and no dear mother. Hector, thou art father and dear mother now to me, and brother and my youthful spouse besides. In pity keep within the fortress here, 
nor make thy child an orphan, nor thy wife a widow. But Hector, though he dearly loved his wife, could not shrink from the battle. As Andromash ceased to plead with him, he held out his arms to his little son, but the child drew back in fear of the great plumes that waved on his father's shining helmet. Then Hector took off his helmet and laid it on the ground, while he caught his child in his arms and kissed him, praying Zeus and all the gods to defend him. Andromash gazed pitifully at her husband as, at length, he gave the child to its nurse, and he seeing her great grief, took her hand and said, Sorrow not thus, beloved one, for me. No living man can send me to the shades before my time. No man of woman born, coward or brave, can shun his destiny. But go thou home and tend thy labours there, the web, the distaff, and command thy maids to speed the work. The cares of war pertain to all men born in Troy, and most to me. Then, springing into his chariot, Hector drove swiftly back to the field of battle. Chapter 14 The Horses of Achilles Hector and Paris reached the battlefield at the same moment. The Trojans were encouraged to fight yet more fiercely when they saw the two princes, and soon so many of the Greeks were slain that Agamemnon grew afraid. Zeus hath sent me a deceiving dream, he said to his counsellors. If the gods sent not their help, we must perish, unless indeed Achilles will forget his anger and come to our aid. Verily, Zeus loveth Achilles, seeing that he putteth the Greeks to flight that he may do him honour. But even as I wronged him in my folly, so will I make amends and give recompense beyond all telling. Then, casting aside his pride, the king sent messengers to the tent of Achilles to say that he would send back Briseis and give to him splendid gifts if he would but come to help of the Greeks, for they were flying before the enemy. But the heart of Achilles was too bitter to be touched by the fair promises of the king, for had he not taken from him Briseis, the lady of his love, so he bade the messengers go back to Agamemnon and say that he would not fight but he would launch his ships on the morrow and sail away 
to his own land. When the king heard that Achilles spurned his gifts and refused to come to his aid, he was afraid. But his counsellors said, Let us not heed Achilles, whether he sail or whether he linger by the loud-sounding sea. When the gods call to him, or when his own heart bids, he will fight. Let us go once more against the Trojans, and do thou show thyself, O king, in the forefront of the battle. Then Agamemnon rallied his men and led them against the foe. Yet again he was driven back. Chief after chief was wounded, and at length the Helenas fled to their ships to defend them from the Trojans. But Patroclus determined to plead with Achilles to save his countrymen from defeat. When he entered the tent of his friend, he was weeping for pity of the dead and wounded. Wherefore weepest thou, Patroclus, like a fond little maid that runs by her mother's side? asked Achilles, as he looked up at the entrance of his friend and saw his tears. Never may such wrath take hold of me as that thou nursest, thrice brave, to the hurting of others, answered his comrade. The Greeks are lying wounded and dead. If thou wilt not come to their help, let me lead thy men so that the enemy may be beaten back and give the armour from thy shoulders. I will wear thy mail, and then the Trojans, at the sight, may think I am Achilles, and may pause from fighting. Even as Patroclus pleaded with his friend, a great light flared up against the sky. The Trojans had set fire to the Greek ships. Then, at length, Achilles was roused. He would not go himself to help of Agamemnon, but he bade Patroclus put on his armour while he called together his brave warriors and commanded them to follow his friend to battle. Quickly Patroclus donned the well-known armour of Achilles Then, calling to Automedon, the chariot driver, he bade him harness Xanthus and Balius, the immortal horses of his friend, for their speed was swift as the wind. As Patroclus vanished from sight in the chariot drawn by Xanthus and Balius, Achilles prayed to Zeus, O Zeus, he cried, I sent my comrade to this battle. Strengthen his heart within him, and when he has driven from the ships the war and din of battle, 
scatheless then let him return, and my people with him. Down upon the Trojans swept the warriors led by Patroclus. They, seeing the armor of Achilles, were afraid and fled from the ships. But ere long they discovered that it was not Achilles, but Patroclus, who wore the well-known armor, and they returned to fight with new courage. And ever, where the battle raged most fiercely, did Patroclus bid Automedon drive his chariot. Then the gods bade Hector find Patroclus and slay him. Little trouble had the prince in finding the warrior who wore the armor of Achilles. Bravely the two heroes fought, but Patroclus was not able to stand against the great strength of Hector. Moreover, the gods betrayed him, striking him from behind on the head and shoulders so that the helmet of Achilles fell in the dust. Apollo also snatched his shield from his arm and broke his spear in two. When Hector saw that his enemy was disarmed, he took his spear and struck him so fiercely that Petroclus fell. With clashing mail, and all the Greeks beheld his fall with grief. The friend of Achilles was wounded to death. In his triumph, Hector was merciless. He mocked at his fallen foe, saying, Patroclus, surely thou saidest that thou would sack my town and from Trojan women take away the day of freedom and bring them in ships to thine own dear country. Fool, I ward from them the day of destiny, but thee shall vultures here destroy. Faint though he was, Patroclus answered, It was not thou, Hector, who didst slay me, but Apollo, who snatched from me my shield, and break my sword in twain. Then his strength failed, and he breathed his last. No pity yet showed Hector, for he stripped off the armor of Achilles from the body of Patroclus, that he might wear it himself. But Zeus, as he looked upon the haughty victor, was displeased. Ah, hapless man, said the god to himself, no thought is in thy heart of death that yet draweth nigh unto thee. Thou dost on thee the divine armour of a peerless man, before whom the rest have terror. His comrade, gentle and brave, thou hast slain, 
and unmeetingly hast stripped the armor from his head and shoulders. The immortal horses of Achilles wept when they knew that Petroclus was slain. Automedon lashed them. He spoke kindly to them, yet they would not move. As a pillar on a tomb, so they stood yoked to the chariot. From their eyes big teardrops fell. Their beautiful heads hung down with grief, so that their long manes were trailed in the dust. Thus sorely did the immortal steeds grieve for the death of Petroclus. Chapter 15 The Death of Hector Fierce and long raged the battle around the body of Patroclus, and while the armies fought, a messenger hastened to the tent of Achilles to tell him that his comrade was slain and that the Trojans fought for his body as it lay naked on the ground, stripped of its armor. Thy armor, said the messenger, Hector has taken for himself. When Achilles heard the bitter tidings, he took dust and poured it with both hands upon his head. As he thought thereon, he shed big tears, now lying on his side, now on his back, now on his face, and then anon he would rise upon his feet and roam wildly beside the beach of the salt sea. As he cried aloud in his grief, his mother, Thetis, heard in her home beneath the sea. Swiftly she sped to her son that she might learn why he wept. Achilles told her all that had befallen Patroclus, and how he himself cared no longer to live, save only that he might slay Hector, who had killed his friend. Thetis bade her son wait but till the morrow before he went to battle and she would bring his armor made by the great fire god. Then she left him and prayed the god Hephaestus, keeper of the forge, to give her armor for her dear son. Hephaestus was pleased to work for so goodly a warrior as Achilles. Quickly he set his twenty bellows to work, and when the fire blazed in the forge, he threw into it bronze and silver and gold. Then, taking a great hammer in his hand, he fashioned a marvellous shield, more marvellous than words can tell. Before morning, a complete suit of armour was ready for Achilles. Meanwhile, Hector had all but captured the body of Patroclus, 
but the god spoke to Achilles, bidding him now secure the body of his friend. Without armor, Achilles could not enter the fray, yet he hastened to the trenches that the Trojans might see him. Around his head gleamed a golden light, placed there by Athene. When the Trojans saw flame and heard the mighty cry of Achilles, they drew back afraid. Three times the warrior shouted, and three times the Trojans drew back in fear. While they hesitated, the Greeks rushed forward and carried away the body of Patroclus, nor did they lay it down until they lay it in the tent of Achilles. On the morrow, Thetis came back to her son, bringing with her the armor made by Hephaestus. She found him weeping over the body of his friend. My child, she said, him who lieth here we must let be, for all our pain. Arm thyself now and go thy way into the fray. Then Achilles put on the armor of the god in haste, for he feared lest another than he should slay Hector. With Achilles once again at their head, the Greek warriors attacked the Trojans with redoubled fury. But it was Hector alone whom Achilles longed to meet, and soon he saw his enemy near one of the gates of Troy. Now he would avenge the death of Patroclus, but when Hector saw the great hate in the eyes of his enemy, lo, he turned and fled. As a hawk, fastest of all the birds of air, pursues a dove upon the mountain, so did Achilles pursue the prince until he was forced to stand to take breath. Then Hector, encouraged by the gods, drew near to him and spoke. Thrice, great Achilles, hast thou pursued me round the walls of Troy, and I dared not stand up against thee. But now I fear thee no more. Only do thou promise, if Zeus gives thee the victory, to do no dishonor to my body, as I also will promise to do none to thine, should I slay thee. But Achilles, remembering Patroclus, cried out in anger that never would he make a covenant with him who had slain his friend. Then with fierce blows, each fell upon the other, until at length Achilles drove his spear through the armor that Hector wore, and the Trojan prince fell, stricken to the ground. Achilles, 
his anger still burning fiercely, stripped the dead man of his armor, while many Greek warriors standing near thrust at him with their spears, saying to one another, Go to, for easier to handle is Hector now than when he burnt the ships with blazing fire. Then Achilles tied the dead man to his chariot with thongs of oxhide and drove nine times round the city walls, dragging the fair head of Hector in the dust. From the tower, Priam and Hecuba saw the body of their son dragged in the dust, and bitter was their pain. But Andromash knew not yet what had befallen her lord, for she sat in an inner chamber wearing a purple cloth. Soon she bade her maid prepare a bath for Hector, for she thought that he would return ere long from battle. She knew not yet that Hector would never return, but as the noise of the wailing of the people reached the room in which she sat, her heart misgave her. In haste she ran to the wall of the city, only to see the chariot of Achilles as it dragged Hector down to the loud-sounding sea. Then, fainting with grief, Andromash fell to the ground, and the diadem which Aphrodite had given to her on her wedding morn dropped from her head to be worn by her no more. Down by the seashore, Achilles burned the body of Patroclus with great honour, and when the funeral rites were ended, he dragged the dead body of Hector round the tomb, weeping for the loss of his dear comrade. But Zeus was angry with Achilles for treating the Trojan prince so cruelly, and he sent Thetis to bid her son give back Hector's body to Priam, who would come to offer it for a ransom. If Zeus decrees it, whoever brings a ransom shall return with the dead, answered Achilles. Then Zeus sent a messenger to the house of Priam, where the mother and the wife of Hector wept, saying, Be of good cheer in thy heart, O Priam. I am the messenger of Zeus to thee, who though he be afar off, hath great care and pity for thee. The Olympian biddeth thee ransom noble Hector's body, and carry gifts to Achilles that may gladden his heart. So Priam set out alone, save for the driver of the wagon which was to bring Hector again to Troy, 
for so had the messenger commanded. But Hecuba feared to let the old man go alone to the tent of the enemy. When he reached the camp of the Greeks, Priam hastened to the tent of Achilles, and entering it before his enemy was aware, the old king fell at the feet of his enemy and begged for the body of his dear son. Achilles could not look upon the grief of the old man unmoved, but when Priam offered him gifts, he frowned and hauntily he answered, Of myself am I minded to give Hector back to thee, for so has Zeus commanded. Then a truce of nine days was made between the Greeks and the Trojans, so that King Priam and his people might mourn for Hector and bury him undisturbed by fear of the enemy. Priam tarried with Achilles until night fell. Then, while he and his warriors slept, the king arose and bade the driver yoke the horses and mules. When this was done, they laid the body of Hector upon the wagon, and in the silence of the night set out on their homeward journey. At the gates of Troy stood Adramash and Hecuba, watching until Priam returned, and when the wagon reached the city, the Trojans carried Hector into his own house. Then Andromash took the head of her dear husband in her arms and said, Husband, thou art gone young from life and leavest me a widow in thy halls. And the child is yet but a little one, nor methinks shall he grow up to manhood for ere then shall this city be utterly destroyed. For thou art verily perished, who didst watch over it and guard it, and keptest safe its noble wives and infant little ones. The following morning, Priam bade his people go gather wood for the burial and after nine days the body of Hector was laid on the pile and burned. Then his white bones, wrapped in purple cloth, were placed in a golden chest. Above the chest a great mound was raised, and thus Hector, the brave prince of Troy, was buried. Soon after the burial of Hector, Achilles was killed by a poison arrow which Paris aimed at his heel, the one spot of his body that Thetis had failed to bathe in the magic waters of the river Styx. Paris himself perished soon after the death of Achilles. 
Troy still remained untaken. Then goodly Odysseus told the Greeks that although they could not take the city by storm, they might take her by a stratagem or trick. So the Greeks, as he bade them, built a huge wooden horse which was hollow within. There they hid a number of their bravest warriors, and then the main body of the army marched away, as though they were tired of trying to take the city. The wooden horse they left as an offering to Poseidon. Only a slave named Sinon was left behind to persuade the Trojans to drag the horse into the city. But the Trojans needed little persuasion. They came out of the city, gazed at the strange horse, half feared a trick, and then, like children amused with a new toy, they pulled it within the walls of Troy. So glad were the Trojans that the enemy had gone away, that they made a great feast. While they ate and drank, careless of danger, Sinon helped the Greek warriors out of the hollow wooden horse. They waited until it was late and all was quiet. Then they slipped down to the gates and flung them open, while their comrades who had not marched far away, rushed into the plunder and burnt the city. Thus, after many long years, Troy was taken by the council of Odysseus. One of the first to sail away from the city was Menelaus, with his beautiful queen safe at his side. After many adventures, He reached Sparta and lived with Helen in peace, comfort, and wealth, and his palace shone in its splendor like the sun or the moon.